This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Happy Mother's Day to all, especially to the uh, mothers. And I don't come bearing gifts. We already gave those out. But I do want to say Happy Mother's Day to you. And I uh, am changing uh, the focus And I'm going to preach a message that will hopefully connect with everybody, but we'll have some application for mothers today. So we've been going through the uh, book of Acts. We're not going to look at Acts today. Uh, We're going to look at something different. So let me pray, and then we can uh, jump in. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your grace to us today, your presence with us Lord, you are such a faithful and a kind God, and we want to recognize that today. Lord, we want to just uh, thank you most of all for the work of Christ on our behalf. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for living, dying, rising, ascending, and now ruling at the right hand of the Father. And I pray that you would just flood us with grace this morning. God, I want to ask that you would do something unusual, that you would do something spectacular in our hearts, that you would do something that would arrest our attention by your scripture and through your scripture today. So would you please, Lord, reveal to us what is true and yet what we fail to see so often. Open our eyes to see you as you are and allow our hearts to explode with joy and gratitude because of your grace. In Jesus' name, Lord, give me strength and clarity, I pray. Fill us with your spirit to be hearers and doers. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is great to be together, and uh, like I said, I do want to address the topic of uh, Mother's Day a little bit today. But before you check out, hopefully this will relate to those who aren't mothers as well. It relates to me, and I'm, I'm not a mom, not even a woman for that matter, so this, uh, I've been helped by this passage. Hope you will as well. Today is a day of great celebration, isn't it, for many people? Many celebrating today, but I'm aware that it's, a, it's not a day of celebration for some. I mean, there are some in our church that have lost their mother within the last year. And so today is the first Mother's Day since your mom has died. And so today is a day of grief for you. There are others in the room that have a distant relationship with their mom, maybe a broken relationship with their mom. And so today is a reminder of the pain that you experience from your relationship with your own mom. It's easiest for us to forget about those type of folks who are in our midst, right? If you're not one of them, if I'm not one of them. There's others in the room who want to be a mother and you're unable to conceive. And so today is just a reminder of a dream and a longing that for one more year is unfulfilled. There's some in our midst that you want to be a mother and yet you hit this Mother's Day and you wake up aware that it's another Mother's Day where you don't have a husband, you're not married. And so you thought by this time in your life, maybe you would be and you're not. And so it's a day that can be challenging and and difficult. You want to celebrate with others, but you're aware of your own pain as someone who longs to be a mom, but who is different. And there are other women in the room who are mothers And this is what the day will be like for you. You will celebrate. It's a day of celebration for you. And sometime after this gathering this morning, uh, you will be relieved of uh, your responsibilities 
uh, hopefully, and uh, hint, hint uh, to family members, and someone will cook for you, and or someone will take you to a restaurant. Um, your little kids will present to you maybe some handmade cards or gifts. Uh, your older kids will present perhaps a gift to you that they purchased or something like that. And, and it'll be a great day. It'll be a fun day. But in your heart, in your heart, there is this tension. There is this struggle that goes on. I mean, you may even be struggling that you heard that we're veering off Acts. You just like to hear about Acts today. And you heard that I'm going to preach and address motherhood. And so you're already nervous and you're already concerned about what that means today. And you may be thankful to be a mom, grateful, I know you are, love your children, grateful for them, but you find yourself today battling discouragement. Not, not just battling discouragement, but truth be told, some days discouragement wins the battle, and you feel under discouragement, losing the battle with discouragement. And the last thing in the world you want to hear today is a sermon that elevates the lofty, glorious images of Proverbs 31, because you hear that and you're aware of verse by verse where you don't measure up and the gap between your life and that passage. And you don't really believe the crayon scribbled card that says to the best mom in the world, because you look at that and you see, you look at the scripture and you see the gap. You feel like you don't measure up. Maybe you're here today as a mom and you're just tired. I mean, the reality is that you didn't sleep. You rarely sleep. You spend your days caring for little ones, chasing little ones. You're just trying to survive. So it's not the glorious, lofty images of Proverbs 31. You're thinking, I, I just, if I could make it through the day, I don't have to be a Proverbs 31 uh, mom. If I could just be like a living, breathing mom, I would settle for that today. Maybe you hit this... Mother's Day, and it's one more year where you realize that you don't feel you're making progress as a woman of God. Here's what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know, I remember last Mother's Day, and I was battling the same things that I'm battling now. I mean, I was angry last month. I had a problem with anger last Mother's Day. I still do. I'm not even changed. I, I was impatient last Mother's Day. I'm impatient this Mother's Day. I, I was anxious, fearful, worried, discouraged. I was seeking to manipulate those around me last year, and I'm still at the same place. And so you're discouraged today because you feel like you're not making the progress that you feel that you should make, and surely that the Lord requires of you today. You're aware that your devotional life isn't what it was, and so another sermon about women of the word just is a burden to you. Your, your home organization isn't what it wish, you wish it was. Your marriage isn't what you wish it was. Your life isn't what you wish it was. Maybe you're a mom today and you show up in the comparison trap, and it's a trap. It is a trap. And you feel that while your life isn't what you wish it was, the woman two rows in front of you, her life is what you wish your life was. And you compare yourself and you look at her and you say, you're discouraged about yourself. So if she's a mom of young kids, then her kids are well behaved. Her kids can sit through the church service. Her 18-month-old is listening and amening at the appropriate moments during the sermon. She can take her kids to a restaurant and they sit there and the waiter's like, whoa, we have surely God must be in this place. We've never seen a two-year-old like yours. And you can't take your two-year-old into the family room. 
If she has got teenage kids, then you're aware that her kids will rise up this morning and call her blessed. Her teenage kids will honor her. Her teenage kids will honor the Lord. Her teenage kids love the Lord. Her teenage kids love the church. Her teenage kids love the things of God. And maybe you feel that yours don't. And so you look at her today and you're discouraged. Maybe she's the mom of, she's an empty nester. And her kids are grown, but her kids are grown in serving the Lord. And it's not like they even, it's not like, oh, well, they called. Did they forget to call? No, they actually came in to visit to honor her today. And you compare yourself with others today and you find yourself lacking. You look around and you say, her marriage is wonderful, her home is beautiful, her figure is slim, her friendships are many, her counsel is wise, she deserves honor this Mother's Day. But not me. Not me. Well, if that's you, I've got a word for you today. And it's not from Proverbs 31, though it would be appropriate to preach a Christ-centered message from Proverbs 31 today. It's a message from Romans 8. And and here's the genesis of this message. This message came out of my devotions this week. Monday morning, I encountered this text and decided to preach on it. I mean, it's really rare. Once every five years, I just change course and preach my devotions. Uh, It's rare, but I'm doing it today. So this is a message for mothers and others, uh, because the application of Romans 8 will fit for all of us. This, this message also comes out of the fact that I read two books on motherhood this week. I mean, truth be told, I kind of skimmed one and read carefully the other. But two books, I don't read a lot of books on motherhood, but I read two this week. And here's what I came away with. I came away with realizing afresh that moms feel tremendous pressure. Moms feel tremendous pressure. Christian moms feel tremendous pressure. Christian moms in an environment of other Christian moms who are taking their faith seriously feel the most pressure of all, perhaps. And so just aware, it wasn't a book on pressure for moms necessarily, but all the illustrations that they offered came from there, and it made me think, yeah, that's what many of our ladies experience. But this sermon today and this text today doesn't just come out of my morning devotions and uh, a passage, two books that I read this week, but it comes out of a season, really, uh, uh, this has been percolating on our heart, it comes out of a season of evaluation in our own church that we are in the midst of and have just uh, had an intense season of evaluation and, and just a real, uh, realization of what I communicated at the last family meeting, that I and our pastors want to grow and mature and develop in helping ourselves and others not only hear the gospel and believe the gospel, but experience the, the, the liberating effects of the gospel. So that's where this message comes from as well. So let's read Romans 8. I had some stuff to say from the other verses, but I'm not going to get past verse 1 today, I don't think. I'll read verse 2 by faith, but I think we'll stay in 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We're going to go word by word through verse 1 and drill down and pray that God will apply this to our hearts. Verse 1, there, I don't have much to say about there, is, that's a verb of being, I don't have a lot to say about that, therefore, 
There is therefore. Therefore. The word therefore appears to tell us that Paul is about to explain to something to us. He's about to draw a conclusion based on what's come before. He's about to tell us something that ties to what he's previously talked about. And it's probably more than verse uh, chapter 7. Chapter 7, which predates this, that comes right in front of it, chapter 7 is about the struggle of trying to keep the law and trying to do so in one's own flesh. The law is good, but the law reveals our sin, and we don't have the power to keep the law. And so he talks about that struggle uh, and uh, verse chapter 8 is more about life and the spirit, so there's kind of a contrast between the two. But the therefore really points back before chapter 7. It points back to all that Paul has been saying in chapters 3, 4, and 5. This is what Paul's been saying. Paul has been teaching that we are saved from our sins, we are forgiven, we are declared righteous, we are justified, we are being sanctified, and this all happens because of something that occurred outside of us. It happens because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What he has been talking about in chapter 3 in particular is that there is now a way that we can be right with God that doesn't depend on our performance. We can now be right with God because what Jesus has done. Chapter 5, he begins and gives a verse that's really a mirror of the verse we just read. Listen to 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified, that means declared right with God, because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is we have peace with God. We have welcome with God. We're right with God because of what Jesus did. And that's the positive. We have peace because of what he did. 8.1 is the negative. We have no condemnation Because of what he did. The therefore points to all that Christ has done in the previous chapters as it's been described. We we could, we could say it this way. Therefore, therefore, because of all that Christ has done, therefore, what we have received from Jesus, there is now no condemnation. No condemnation. Why? Therefore, there's no condemnation. Why? Because of what Christ has done for us. Therefore. Now. That's the next word, now. There is therefore now, because of the work of Jesus, there is no condemnation now. That means now. That means this second. That means Mother's Day. That means on Mother's Day, there is no condemnation for anyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ. There is now no condemnation. Now, right now, if you're a Christian, God does not condemn you. Right now, if you're a Christian, God does not distance himself from you. Right now, if you're a Christian, God accepts you, loves you, cherishes you, cares for you, is with you. Right now, now there is therefore no condemnation. Well, I yelled at the kids this morning. There is now no condemnation. My devotions were not consistent this week. They were bad. I slept in. I I, I was a failure in my spiritual disciplines this week. There is now. Now today, the Sunday after the bad week of devotions, there is now no condemnation for you. I'm tired. I'm trying to survive. I, I, I'm not sleeping. I'm sitting here like a zombie. 
There is now no condemnations, condemnation for zombies who mother infants. There is no condemnation right now. Well, my teenager is wandering from the Lord. I'm, I'm responsible, I'm sure, must be. I must have ruined her life, his life. There is now no condemnation in Christ for those who are in Christ. Not just in heaven now. See, we can think, well, when I'm in heaven and there's no more sin and I've got a glorified spiritual body and I see Jesus face to face, there will be no condemnation then. That's true. That's not what this text says. This text doesn't say at the return of Christ there will be no condemnation. The Bible says that elsewhere. This text says now, right now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Not when you have met your own standards. Well, when I have, when I have lived the life that I expect I should be living as a Christian, then I'll feel better about my life and feel better about my relationship with God. Then I won't feel condemned. If I can just do this, if I can just do that, then I won't feel condemned. The Bible doesn't say when you just do this and when you just do that. The Bible says now. Right now. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Not not in the future, not when you improve. The Bible doesn't say God will not condemn a future version of you. When you've matured, when you've grown up, then there will be, it says right now, not when you've organized your home, not when you've lost the weight, not when you feel closer to God, not when you wake up earlier, now. Not when you do something else right now. Not when you actively serve more in the church. It's not that day that you won't be condemned. Not when you are closer with the women in the community group. Not when you have a lifestyle of reacting patiently to your toddler. Not at that day there will be no condemnation. Right now there's no condemnation is what the scripture says. Not when you've taught your kid the Bible more regularly. Not when you've educated your kid like she has, then God won't condemn you. No, right now. Not when you've prepared healthier meals for your family. Not when you've stayed on the budget more faithfully. Not when you've memorized more scripture. Not when you've prayed more. Not when you've memorized more scripture about grace. Not when you've believed grace more. Not when you've started to walk in grace more. It doesn't say there's therefore now no condemnation or there's no condemnation once you start walking in grace. It says right now there is no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. Now means now. Now, don't make me count to three. Now. <laughs> Little mom humor there. Right now. And this is so important because this is, it's so important that we receive this truth, that we live in the acceptance of God because this is the key to our relationship with God. This is the basis for your entire Christian life. What we're reading right now, it is the foundation, it is the basis of your entire, my entire Christian life. This is the air we are to breathe in the Christian life. See, here's, here's what God wants for us, because He loves us. He wants us to wake up in the morning and inhale the fresh air of no condemnation. You're not condemned. You're declared righteous. You're loved. You're accepted. You're welcomed. 
He doesn't want you to wake up breathing the noxious fumes of all that I've got to do today. I will never get it all done. I will never meet my standard. I will never meet my husband's standard. I will never meet God's standard. Before I even hit the snooze button, I'm a failure. That's poison gas that God does not want you to wake up and breathe. God does not want us waking up and breathing. Well, I'm sure so-and-so's already been up an hour, had a quiet time, bathed all the children, uh, prepared a glorious breakfast. They're so much better. She's so much better than I. It does not want you to breathe the asphyxiating, noxious gas of comparison. It'll choke your soul. It'll choke my soul. It's devastating. It's pollution. It's breathing in smog. It's inhaling carcinogens that will destroy us spiritually. God wants us waking up, inhaling the truth of this this air. There is therefore, now, this morning, I don't feel like it. I feel condemned. I've hit the snooze button four times. I am condemned. I've missed my quiet time. I'm ta- he does not want that. He wants now, right now, no condemnation. The Lord is singing over me. He is welcoming me. He is loving me. He has given everything he could give for me in Christ Jesus. I am waking up in Christ today. The fresh air of Romans we, we need, I need to not just know this intellectually, but to experience this in my soul. I, I love this quote about Romans 8.1 from Ray Ortland. He writes the following, God not only accepts you, he wants you to know that he accepts you. God not only accepts you, he wants you to know that he accepts you because you will never see liberating breakthroughs to new, to new levels of personal holiness, except in the reassuring atmosphere of grace. We want to all grow in our lives. And he makes a great point. We'll never see liberating breakthroughs until we have this reassuring atmosphere of grace. The reassuring atmosphere of grace is liberating and freeing so that we are freed to follow the Lord, know the Lord, obey the Lord, experience the Lord. This is the way he changes us through liberation. He does not change us through bondage. He sets us free from bondage so that there is no condemnation, there is no entrapment, there is freedom. And until we live in that, until I live in that, that atmosphere of grace, my growth will be be stilted. Halted. God wants us to experience his glorious, no condemnation grace. Now. There is therefore, because of all that Christ has done, now, right now, let's move to the next word, no. No condemnation. No. Let's exegete the word no. There's therefore now, no. Let's start by saying this is an important word in the passage. It's 48 point and everything else is 12 point. Well, probably the name of Jesus is bigger than 48 point, but everything else is small. This is big point, 48 point. This should be bolded, underlined, italicized, yellow marker out highlighting the word no. There is no condemnation. Right now, there is no condemnation. He is making an emphatic statement. It is 
out of the question that you are condemned. If you're in Christ Jesus, it's unthinkable that God condemns you, that God distances himself from you, that God disapproves of who you are. It's unthinkable. It's, it's anathema to say God doesn't accept me. Why? Because there is no condemnation. No. None. It's impossible. It's unthinkable. Nada. Zero. No condemnation. <laughs> right now. Not on that day. Right now. No condemnation. Do you know why there's no condemnation? Well, there's no condemnation because of verse 3. There's no condemnation because of really what he's written in verses three and chapters three, four, five, and six as well. But in verse three, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So God did something that the law couldn't do. The law is good. The law is holy. The law is lovely. The law is pure. But the law could not do something. It could not save us. And here's why. It was weakened by the flesh. So the law is perfect. There's really two paths of salvation. We always say there's only one way to be saved. Truth be told, there's two. One way to be saved is through the law. You can actually be saved through the law. I don't know if you knew that. It would be 100% absolute obedience in heart, mind, thought, and deed to love God perfectly every second of every day, to do all that he's commanded, and to never fail to do uh, anything, never to break a commandment or never fail to fulfill a commandment. So if you can do that, you can be saved by your works if you're perfect from the moment you're born till the moment you die. I'm saying we go for option B. Uh, I'm, I'm going to skip option A and uh, go for... So what's plan B? Oh, plan B is what this says. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law could not save us. Why? Not because the law wasn't good, because we weren't good. So we can't fulfill the law. So God did something because we couldn't do something. What did God do? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Well, didn't Jesus really come in the flesh? Why does it say likeness? Yes, he really came in the flesh. He was 100% human. But when it says likeness, he looked like he was a real human. He appeared like every other human, but he was different. He was sinless. So he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he didn't sin. That's what that means. And for sin. He came for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Sin was condemned in the flesh of Jesus. Jesus was condemned for you and for me. Jesus died in our place. He paid the penalty. He paid the price. So why is there no condemnation for us if we're Christians? Because Jesus has been condemned already for our sins. He was judged. He was penalized. He was killed. The judgment of the Father was, was given to him for our sins. And so now there is no condemnation. Because he took it away from me. He took it off of me. He bore it in my place. And that makes all the difference. So why am I not condemned? Because my sins have been paid for. Past, present, future. All of them paid for, taken away from me, taken off of me, and put on Jesus Christ. I cannot be condemned. You cannot be condemned today. Well, I have failed. Yes, but you cannot be condemned because he didn't fail. I have sinned. Yes, but he has paid for our sins and declared us righteous. There's no, no, no condemnation if we are in Christ Jesus, which all believers are. You cannot ever be condemned. God views you today, relates to you today as righteous as Jesus. Does God love me? Does he love Jesus? Does God the Father love Jesus? That's how much he loves you. 
Does God welcome me? Does God welcome Jesus? Because that's how he relates to us, no condemnation. Does God listen to me? Does he listen to his son, Jesus? Because that's how he relates to you. God the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We're about to find out, like three words, four words later, that we're in Christ Jesus. We're in him. So when he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, those of us who are in him by faith, that's his assessment of us as well. That's really good news. No condemnation. So if there's no, no, no condemnation, why do I feel condemned? If there's no condemnation, why do I feel the nagging disapproval of God over my life? If there's no condemnation, why do I feel like a failure? Why am I discouraged? Why do I feel like I don't measure up? That's a good question. And I can't answer it for your situation, uh, but I can make some general observations from my own life and from those I've talked to and counseled over the years that I, I hope will be helpful. Here's one reason we could be condemned. We feel condemned. We condemn ourselves. Self-condemnation. Self-condemnation. So we don't think about Romans 1. What we think about is this established standard that we have. So this is the way my life should be. This is, this is the way I should behave. This is the way I should act. This is my standard. It may come from the Bible. There might be some verses in it. Usually there's some things that aren't in the Bible on our standard, the way we think we should live to feel good about our lives. We usually add a lot of stuff on there and pick up stuff that we observe in others that we really don't have a text for, but it, it's on there. We just need to do it. So we have this standard that may be partially biblical, maybe largely biblical, and we say, okay, this is what I got to live up to. And then when we don't live up to that, we condemn ourselves rather than going here and saying, there's therefore now no condemnation. We set our view above God's view. So how I view myself, how I think I measure up, I'm going to put that above what God says my status is. Here's what God says my identity is. This is your identity. This is your spiritual DNA. There is no condemnation. Declared righteous. That's your DNA. That's, your spirit. That's who you are in God's eyes. And so we take who we are in our eyes and sometimes elevate that, and that is a problem. The comparison trap works here as well. We look at someone else. We see what they're doing. We don't measure up. Or our results don't look the same as their results. And so we start making some assessments of ourselves and we condemn ourselves because we don't measure up what we perceive their standard to be. We measure ourselves against them and then we condemn ourselves and often blame them for judging us. And they may be. They may not be. It may be I'm looking at them and I feel like I could never do that and I'm just, he is so self-righteous. What did he say? Well, he didn't say anything, but he is so self-righteous. Was it something was it a glance or a look? No, but he is so self-righteous. But really, the deal is I'm comparing myself to him, condemning myself, and now I'm angry at him. So we can condemn ourselves when we don't measure up. Number two, we can be condemned by others. Other people can say condemning things, give, can use haughty eyes, to give a condemning glance. Other people can communicate through their tone of voice, through their body language, disapproval, and other people can condemn us. Now, sometimes that's inadvertent. Sometimes we condemn one another without even trying to condemn one another, but that's the result. And that's why I want to learn, and I want us to learn, how to relate 
uh, in grace, how to live up to our name, Grace Church. How do we communicate grace to one another? How do we breathe the air of no condemnation, Grace? How do we speak words of grace and life to one another? That's in something that is important. How do we take this verse and not only believe it for ourselves, but live out of the good of it so that I treat you the same way as a believer in Christ? But sometimes we can uh, condemn others unintentionally. And we need to, re- if, if I feel like someone's condemned me, I need to give the benefit of the doubt and say, well, what they did may have been un- 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 uh, unintentional. Like the illustration I'm about to share, read to you. This is an illustration from an author, a mom named uh, Kim Crandall, and uh, I think what she says is very helpful. She says, it's a little long, but I hope it's worth it. She says, one day when my kids were all under five, if I remember from the book, she has three kids, I think, under five. One day when my kids were all under five, I sent a desperate email to a friend and mentor who has children older than mine. It said something like, please tell me I'm not going to ruin my kids. Maybe some of your mom sent that email. So she sends a friend to her, to her mentor friend, please tell me I'm not going to ruin my kids. Having already lost my temper several times that day, I had fallen into a pit of guilt and despair, wondering if there was any hope for such a horrible sinner as me. I realize now my request was really a cry for the gospel. I had forgotten about God's sovereignty, and I needed to hear about his unending grace for me, even on the really bad days. My friend's reply was a guilt-inducing disaster. She basically said she couldn't promise that I wouldn't ruin my kids. Then she piled on some parenting tips and a few handy verses to help motivate me to do better. It was all we knew to do in those days. So while honestly trying to help, she had only given this overwhelmed, guilt-stricken mom even more to do, a heavier burden when I could not even bear the first one. Neither of us really understood the gospel. We were two theologically clueless Christian women trying our best to earn favor in the eyes of God and man by living up to a standard that we were quite sure was the only true definition of an excellent godly mother. From my vantage point, I was failing miserably while she was soaring. She was a well-mannered wife and mother who loved her well-mannered children, and against that, I just couldn't measure up. Perhaps a better response, and she has grace for her friend. Obviously, they've moved on. They didn't understand the gospel. But she says, um, perhaps a better response from my friend would have included some honest identification with my struggles. Something like this. And she crafts an imaginary email that would have been helpful on that day. I'm so sorry that you are having a bad day. I had a really horrible day like that last week and yelled at one of the kids. I found it so hard to be patient with all the crying, and I just wanted to hide. I had the same thoughts that you were having right now. But the Lord reminded me that I'm not the one who saves my children. Only he can do that. Believe you are receiving his grace right now at this very moment. Believe his love for you has not changed, despite the fact that you have not loved your children well today. God's love is never based on our behavior. Look to Christ when you are tempted to yell, and remember, he lives in you. 
He will help you through the most difficult times. Go to your little ones and ask them to forgive you. Tell them that mommy is a sinner who has a great savior. Pray with them and believe there is nothing that you can do to thwart God's plan for them. We're all bad moms. That's why we need Jesus. She said, my friends do better advice, although well-intentioned, amounted to more imprisonment when she could have offered me the freedom of the gospel. Do you see the difference? We must learn to give one another the freedom of the ever good, good news. We can condemn others sometimes inadvertently just trying to help. But grace says I'm not condemned. God doesn't treat me as condemned. And I don't treat you that way. I identify with you. And I point you to the faithful Savior. And notice she had some steps of action. She didn't say, I don't matter what you do. She gave her some steps of action. Humble yourself. Confess to your kids. Ask their forgiveness. Admit your need. And point them to Jesus. Because we all need a great Savior. It wasn't the absence of obedience. It was a different kind of obedience. The obedience that says, I'm secure in God's love. I'm secure in his favor. I'm not trying to earn it. I'm secure in no condemnation, and now I can freely go and admit my fault and ask the forgiveness of those I've sinned against. So we condemn ourselves. Sometimes we condemn others because we're self-righteous or we're condemned by others or sometimes inadvertently well-meaning. And thirdly, we are condemned by the devil. The enemy condemns us. Do you know that's his name? Satan is the Hebrew. We get the devil from the Greek, but they mean the same thing. The name Satan or the name devil means accuser. Accuser. Where does the condemnation come from? Well, we might condemn ourselves or we might condemn ourselves from what we heard from someone else or they may condemn us. But at the root of all that condemnation is Satan. That is the work of Satan. Listen to Revelation 12. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, that's the devil, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives unto death. The accuser of the brothers has been hurled down, cast down. Satan had a voice. Satan used his voice to accuse before the Father, but his voice has been replaced. It has been replaced by the Lord Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us, pleading his blood, blood, confessing that we've been declared righteous, that we're in him, that we're with him. The voice of the accuser has been silenced by the blood of the Lamb. And so there is no condemnation, even if the devil wants to bring it. Now you say, well, okay, someone whispered in my ear, you yelled at your kids. And I did yell at my kids. 
Okay, that's not the accusation I'm talking about. That's true. The accusation I'm talking about, the false accusation, is the accusation of the enemy that says, because you did that, they're ruined and God's not sovereign. Because you did that, God's going to distance himself from you. Because you did that, you better have 24 hours of no anger before you can come back into his presence. You've got to earn your way back in. Because you did that, God is not very pleased with you. And who do you think you are? showing up this morning on Mother's Day of all days, worshiping Jesus the way you acted all morning long. That's the enemy. The false accusation is, did God really say there's therefore now no condemnation? Did God really say that? Do you really believe that? I mean, look at your own life. Are you listening to what this guy's saying? Think about your own life. How does what you're hearing today square with your own experience? That's the devil. And so when those thoughts come, we need to be aware When we think of accusing someone else and judging their motives, we need to beware. When we read about someone else being accused and judged and their motives being judged, we need to beware. Who is the accuser of the brothers? Who is accusing me? Who is condemning me? It may be my flesh, but it's animated by the enemy. It may be another, but the effects are the effects of the enemy. And here is the thing about condemnation. Condemnation does not free you from sin. Condemnation is a darkness. It is a bondage. Condemnation doesn't lead to freedom. Condemnation leads to more sin. And that's why the accuser of the brothers wants to accuse us and tell us this good news that we're free is not really true. So here's what happens. I feel condemned. And then I say, okay, I got to try better. I got to do harder. I got to work really hard to meet my standard. And then God will accept me. I've got to work really hard to be approved by God. That is legalism. And legalism is the sin that Jesus rebukes the strongest in his earthly life against the Pharisees. So Obedience is not legalism. Legalism is me working at my standard or even God's standard to accomplish it so that I feel the approval of God. So when we're condemned, we either go to self-justification, which is legalism. I will work until I feel good and feel that God accepts me. Or we go to more sin. We give up. We get despairing. We get depressed. I feel condemned, and so I overeat. I feel condemned, and so I overspend. I feel condemned, and so I give up. You kids don't want me? Well, do whatever you want. And I give in to more anger and threats. And I judge other people. When I'm condemned, I will judge other people. I feel condemned, so one way I feel better about myself is say that you're self-righteous and that you're a legalist. We've never even had a conversation. But if I think that about you, I somehow feel freer. Or I look at another mother today as if you're a mom, you look at another mother and you judge her. Who does she think she is? And so why? I'm condemned, so I'm going to judge you. Condemnation leads to more sin, which leads to more condemnation. Freedom comes with this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the freedom, the forgiveness, the truth that God declares us righteous 
that God loves us, that God welcomes us. This verse, the freedom of this verse, the truth of this verse, that my identity is one who is righteous before the Lord. That is my fundamental identity. And it's described this way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not condemned because we are in Christ Jesus. We are in union with Jesus. We are connected to Jesus. We are with Jesus. And this is your fundamental, your most basic identity is in Christ. That is more true of you than anything else that is true of you. So your in Christness, your in Christ status is more defining of you than your gender. You're, that, that's a bigger deal than your gender. It's more defining of you than your gifts, than your vocation. I think of myself primarily as a mom. I think of myself primarily as an engineer. I think of myself primarily as a Texan. That's not bad. But I think of myself as primarily this or that. You are primarily below all of that, and more important than all of that, in Christ. God doesn't look at you, first of all, and say, there's a mom. That's true. There's an engineer. There's a community group leader. There's a children's ministry teacher. There's a daughter. There's a sister. That's all true of you. But primarily, fundamentally, you are in Christ. And that's why, that's why there's no condemnation. In chapter 6, we always read this at baptisms. In verse 3, it says this. Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, into Christ, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. How do we walk in new life? How do I experience new life? How do I live in new life? By living in that truth that I'm in Christ. I'm with Him. I was buried with Him. I'm raised with Him. Actually, Colossians says, I'm seated with Him in the heavenly places. And so the way, uh, the beginning point for living out the newness of life is recognizing that I'm in union with Him. I am with Him. I am connected to Him. It is a vital union. Jesus said it this way, I am the vine, you are the branches. Vitally connected. One, vitally connected. That's even a more fundamental identity than disciple. My fundamental identity is not follower of Christ, it's in Christ. I only follow him because I'm in him. I only want to love him and serve him and please him and walk with him and follow him and believe him and share him and because I'm in him. That's my fundamental. I only want to please him because he's already already pleased with me. I only want to worship him because he's already loved me. I only want to love him because he's already loved me and I am in him. That is the point of the passage. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 12. You are all parts of the body. He is the head. You're vitally connected to him. I'm vitally connected. I'm in him. Our union in Christ says more about us than anything else. And so there is no condemnation. You can never be condemned. It's impossible because you're in Christ. And because you're in Christ, it's not just you're a believer outside of Christ. You are. We are believers. But it's not just that. It's a vital connection with him. Because we're in Christ, with Christ, connected with Christ, we can never be separated from God. And that's where he ends this chapter. He starts with no condemnation. He ends with no separation. No condemnation, no separation from the love of God. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who could possibly be against you today? 
if God says you're, you're not guilty, you're righteous, you're loved, you're cherished, you're welcomed, you're accepted, then who could ever come against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is going to bring a charge? My standard, my condemnation, your condemnation of me? That doesn't matter. The devil's condemnation? It's not true. What possibly, who could bring any charge? If God says you're forgiven, what does it matter what anyone, including ourselves, thinks? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? No one. Because there is no condemnation if you're in Christ. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? How could we possibly separate it from the love of Christ? Look at his list of possibilities. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? So he says, imagine the worst things possible. Add all of those up together. There's a famine, so I'm starving, I have no clothes, I'm naked, I'm being persecuted for my faith, and someone's got a sword ready to cut my head off. That's a bad day. So if that's going on, can I conclude, God must not love me because I have no clothing, I have no food, I'm about to get stabbed. Should I conclude that, no, none of that stuff could even separate you. Nothing can come between you and the love of God today. This is such good freeing news. No, verse 37, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. All those things added up mean just like everything. Okay, the whole kitchen sink of the universe. Everything will not be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It is such glorious good news for us to live in. To, to believe. It is such freeing good news to us that, that we are not condemned, but we are loved. We are not accepted by our behavior, but by the behavior of Jesus. We're not welcomed because of our acts, but because of his acts. But we sin, indeed, but he never did, and we're credited with his record. And so we are accepted, loved, welcomed. No condemnation means no separation. Now, if you are tempted to say, this sounds too good to be true, or why aren't you telling us some other things that are also in Romans? If you're saying, this is too good to be true, I mean, why don't we just all run out and do whatever we want? Because there's no condemnation, past, present, or future. So why don't we all just sin like wild people? If you're starting to think that way, then you're starting to understand grace. I'm starting to understand grace. If I actually have the moment, whoa, I could go do anything. I'm starting to understand grace. And Paul knew that. And that's why in chapter 6, he anticipated that argument. He was giving this Romans, I mean, it's a grace bomb. He just drops this bomb and grace explodes. There is just, there, there's just mercy and kindness and welcome everywhere. And so he knew people would say that. And that's why in chapter 6 he says this, verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? If grace is so good, let's go on sinning. More sin, more grace. And he says, well, by no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? So he says, no, never do that. 
if, if that is really our heart attitude, like we want to live fully in sin, then we really haven't died to it. We've died in sin and been raised to righteousness in Christ. And so, though that, that idea, does it matter what we do? Though we would con- conceptually have that idea, we would never really want to pursue that route if the Spirit of God genuinely lives in us and we really understand grace. Because grace frees us to know God. Grace doesn't free us to pursue the sins that Jesus died for. Grace doesn't cause us to go breathe the noxious air and to run into the sewer. Grace causes us to be in the freedom of Christ. We're set free from sin. That's what he's saying. But the question comes because it's so good and it's so amazing that we could almost think it's too good to be true. It's not too good to be true. It's true. There is therefore, because of all that Christ has done, now, right now, now, no, absolutely none, inconceivable, impossible, it will never be. No condemnation, the judgment of God, the disapproval of God, the rejection of God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, those joined with the Savior, those who have received him, not by our works, but just by receiving him by faith, just by accepting him, trusting him. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what should I do? Here's 15 things to do. No, that wouldn't, fit, that wouldn't be the appropriate ending to this sermon. What should I do? Just believe what we read. That's what we should do. Just believe this. Just, just say, that's true. I don't feel like it's true. But that is true. My feelings can deceive me. It's not what I feel. It's not what I think. It's not what my standard is. It's not what my expectation is. It's what God says. When he says, who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? I don't think I want to be the one raising my hand and I do. Uh, I'm not forgiven or accepted or loved or declared righteous before God. I don't think I want to be that guy arguing with the Scripture. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? No one. Who's to condemn? No one. I'll take my acceptance, my love, my welcome, the grace, your declared righteousness. So what do we do? We believe this. We believe this, and then we rest. We rest in this, and that... That is our DNA. That is our foundation that enables us to walk in freedom with God. Which we can't get to, but the next verse he talks about that. The Spirit is how we leave. The Holy Spirit then changes our desires, empowers us. God, by grace, not only declares us righteous, God, by grace, transforms us as well. As we respond to his grace, his grace transforms us. So that's what we see next. But we believe and we rest. So, Mom... Get a nap today, get a physical, get some physical rest today. But much more important than that, the nap will wear off. You may feel groggy when you get up anyway. Sometimes it's not worth it, right? Sometimes it's not worth it. So maybe or maybe not get a nap. I probably wouldn't, but, uh, but whatever. If that's good for you, rest your body, but receive rest for your soul today. Just rest. Cease striving for God's approval. You've got it. See striving to be loved by God. He loves us. See striving to meet the standard. We can't, but He did. See striving and rest in this grace that there is no condemnation and that we are free for eternity before Him. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org. Thank you.